Hey, this is Evan Black, pastor of Faith for Life Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. If you don't yet know Jesus, I'm so glad that you're listening, and I pray that this message empowers you to give your life to Christ. If you're just starting out on your journey with Jesus, I hope this empowers you to connect with Him. If you're strong in your connection to Christ, I believe this message will empower you to follow Him. So enjoy today's message. Thank you. Y'all can be seated. It's so good to be here with my Faith for Life family. I hope it's all right that I call you all that, even though some of you haven't even met me before. Uh, But I think this is my third time now speaking on this stage. And I was saying earlier, I'm not even a Falcons fan, so that must be doing something right if heaven's going to let me come and speak to you here today. Uh, This church welcomes people like nobody I've ever seen. Uh, y'all bring us into the family. I think a lot of families could take some note from, from some of you in terms of how you can welcome in people and make them feel like family. So just on behalf of myself, my bride, our two kids, thank you for welcoming us into your family. Y'all are welcome at Awaken anytime. But uh, I wanted just to start off this morning just by getting real with you. Can I be vulnerable with you this morning? Is that all right? I want to share about one of the scariest and most awkward phases of my entire life, junior high. Right? Anybody with me on that one? As a, as a young guy, I'm 12 or 13 years old, and you know, your body's changing, all these zits are coming out, and all of a sudden, these girls that you used to find so annoying are the sole focus of your attention, right? And to make matters even worse, I was, and my wife would probably still say that I still am, this hopeless romantic, right? Like I would be secretly watching these romantic comedies, these, these chick flicks, right? And my favorite, uh, my favorite artist was Brian McKnight, still is. <laughs> So watching those movies, listening to Brad McKnight, and then the next morning I'd go to school and like be falling in love with every single girl, right? Had a crush on all the teachers, but I was so helpless and so awkward, right? And to make matters even worse, like junior high is just full of all of these um, really uncomfortable situations, right? Like getting picked for dodgeball, figuring out where to sit for lunch or where to go on the bus. Like every single decision you make is filled with this huge risk. Every decision was filled with that risk. And then it comes to the the pinnacle of the junior high awkwardness, right? The junior high dance. Anybody remember their junior high dance? Awkward. (laughs) I remember vividly, right? I was wearing clothes that were two sizes too big because it was like the late 90s and that's what you did. And my pants were sagging below my butt because I wanted to fit in with my buddies. But I was wearing a sweater vest on the top because I was a hopeless romantic and I was trying to get in with the ladies too, right? So this huge conflict going on. It was also, again, the late 90s and the music was horrible. And I stand by that. I mean, I remember Cisco with his silver hair, right? Or the Backstreet Boys singing, I want it that way. Nobody wants it that way. <laughs> horrible, horrible music. But I remember desperately wanting to dance. Even as bad as the music was, I desperately wanted to be invited out onto that dance floor. To feel like I was wanted, like I belonged. It wasn't about my junior high hormones. I mean, everything was about my junior high hormones, but it wasn't just about my junior high hormones. It was about wanting to feel like I belonged somewhere. Like wanting to feel like I found my place. I even bleached my hair at one point, which was just a horrible decision. But that's how desperately I wanted to fit in. I wonder this morning if you're looking still to find your place. For so many of us, life can be like that junior high dance. 
We don't know where we belong, but we know that we desperately need to feel like we belong somewhere, right? We don't know quite where or how to jump in, but we find ourselves there waiting and hoping and wishing that somebody would just ask us to dance. We're all searching for that place where we can feel confident in who we are, right? Where we have our purpose and where we're making a difference. My guess is that's probably part of the reason why you showed up here today. This is your day off. You could have rolled over and hit that snooze. You could have put the kids in front of some cartoons, watched some football. But you came here. You chose to show up and to worship God with your family. Can I encourage you, though, not to treat church like that junior high dance? Listen, I know some of you came in after having a rough week. I'm with you. And I know some of you, it took everything that you had just to walk through those doors this morning. And I'm so glad that you are here because I believe God has something to tell you today. But I need all of you to know that I'm here on a mission this morning to call you to more. If you've heard me speak here before, you know I don't speak and, and just leave the stage without asking you to do something. <laughs> so get ready. And those of you that are trying to avoid eye contact, I see you. <laughs> God sees you. I just ask that you'd have an open heart this morning. My prayer that God would speak directly to you and call you out of your comfort zone, call you to more. So this morning, I'm gonna be calling you off of the wall and onto that dance floor. But would you join me and bow your heads in prayer as we ask God to move in our hearts today. Father God, we bow at your feet this morning, God. We are just in awe of, of who you are and what you are doing here in your church, God, in your city. We thank you for being a God that constantly pursues us. God, you're, you constantly pursue us and you're so intimately involved in our lives and you desire so deeply to see us become everything that you've created us to be. May we see ourselves through that lens. God, I pray that you would move here this morning. God, would you shift our perspective? Would you, would you shake up our atmosphere, God, and call us to more? We love you, God, and we pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, amen. Well, my family and I, my wife and my two kids, uh, we moved here to Round Rock about a year and a half ago when I met Pastor Evan. We're not from uh, Texas originally. We're from Southern California. Normally get some dirty looks at the playground, but (laughs) natives get a little bit restless when they hear from California. But I actually grew up a few miles from Disneyland. It's a pretty cool place to grow up because back before you used to have to like sell a kidney or you know give your car away to get tickets, my siblings and I used to spend our entire summers there just making memories, right? And if you've been to Disneyland before, you know that when you walk in the gates, something magical happens, right? You walk in and there's like the smell of popcorn hits you in the face and you hear these catchy jingles and you see all the characters, everybody's so happy. And all of a sudden you kind of are left with this feeling of wanting to just like leave everything else behind, forget all the problems you have, whatever, and just like stay in this fantasy world forever, right? It's created to be this, this utopia, but that's not reality, right? Because now I go there as a parent and I see all these toddlers throwing tantrums, right? I see these parents bickering and, and I realize that, hey, we're spending 95% of our time in lines watching other people have fun. Like, there's something wrong with that equation. But as much as Disney strives after being the happiest place on earth, it'll never be that way. Disney will never be the happiest place on earth because the happiest place isn't on earth, at least not right now, right? One day, the happiest place will be on earth when the promises of scripture are fulfilled and that curtain that's separating heaven and earth is torn, we're given this unimpeded access to God. But right now, we're living in this, 
in between. Jesus has come and he's ushered in his kingdom, but we're not able to fully experience it yet. So we're, we're living in, in the now, but we're living in the not yet. We're not living in the magic kingdom and we're not yet living in the kingdom of heaven. We are living in this upside down kingdom. I want to back up just for a quick second for some context because we don't really use the word kingdom too often. But back in Jesus' time, the, the kingdom of the day was the Roman kingdom, right? The Roman Empire. Roman Empire controlled just about everything. As most of you know, it, it stretched from what's now Spain all across Europe over to Israel, back across, you know, the northern part of Africa. And what's interesting is you all know that the Romans would go into these territories and they would take over. Right? But they wouldn't just take over, wouldn't just take the land as theirs. They would make everything look like it did in Rome. Right? They'd bring in their education, they'd bring in their art, they'd bring in everything. Right? And it wasn't just because they said, hey, we're the Romans, this is the best way to do it. Let's make Rome great again and, and we'll be good. You know? They didn't just take it in there with this elitist mindset. What they did is they wanted these territories to look like Rome because they knew, hey, Caesar, our leader, is going to come here one day. We want him to feel like he's at home. Right? Ironically, that's what the kingdom of God is. It's when everything in heaven is instituted here on earth. It's when God's complete glory and his power and his rule is manifested here on earth. It's when earth looks like heaven. This is important for you to hear this morning. Jesus is coming back here one day. And it's not just to take us away somewhere. It's to restore this world. It's our goal then that when he does, he feels right at home. And that where we live looks a lot more like heaven. So let me ask you, what are you doing in your life to prepare for the coming of the king? You know, what does that look like in your neighborhood? How are you preparing people? What does that look like in your workplace? What does it look like in your marriage? <laughs> right? <laughs> Preaching to myself up here, brother. It's funny, when I was in college, um, you know, I was still helpless and awkward, also immature and stupid. <laughs> and so I said, hey, I want to join this fraternity. This is going to be a good idea. I'm going to get to meet some girls, have the typical college experience, right? I came expecting the kingdom of the world. Little did I know there was four guys there that would invite me to a Bible study. Four guys there that would bring me to their church. Four guys there that were working on ushering in the kingdom of heaven right here and right now. And that radically transformed not just my college experience, but my life. Because they were busy working on the kingdom of God while I was looking for something else. So wherever you're at in your life right now, I want to ask you, how are you preparing for the coming of the king? Because that's not only going to have an impact on you, but it's going to have an impact on those that are around you. Listen, y'all need to know that, that earth, where we're at right now, is not our pit stop on the way to our final destination. This isn't Bucky's along the 35. This is our final destination. And as the church, it's our goal to make it look a lot more like heaven. That's why Jesus, when he taught the disciples how to pray, he said, thy kingdom come. He didn't say, take us away to your kingdom. Take us away from this God-forsaken earth. He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But the challenge is making earth look more like heaven. You know, those two things don't really mix. The earthly view of a successful kingdom, of a kingdom on the move, is one that stands in direct contrast to the kingdom of God. The world's view of a successful kingdom is the one with the most wealth, the one with the most power, the one with the most military strength. But we hear Jesus in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount just flip that whole thing upside down. If you have your Bibles today or a Bible app, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 5. 
beginning in verse one, we're gonna read a few of the verses. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted. He goes on and on talking about those who he's building his kingdom for, those who he's building his kingdom on. It's the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, the merciful. These are the kids that are getting picked last in dodgeball. These are the kids that are are being forced to do the entire school project. These are the kids standing on the wall, not getting invited onto the dance floor. That last one might have been just encouragement. But you need to know this happens all throughout scripture, right? God doesn't pick the mightiest, strongest. He picks the outcasts. He picks the stutterer. He picks the drunk. He picks the least likely people and he calls them. And then he equips them and then he uses them to usher in his kingdom. We need to understand that we are living in an upside down kingdom. If you take nothing else from today, take that. Because that crucial paradigm shift helps us to shift our focus away from the things our sinful hearts desire and to focus on the things that God's pure heart longs for. You see, everything about the Bible that we believe in, everything about the God that we follow, and everything about the Jesus that we serve is upside down to the world that we live in. Let me say that one more time. Everything about the Bible that we believe in, the God that we follow and the Jesus that we serve is upside down to this world that we live in. We follow a ruler who built his church on the one who denied him. Jesus tells Peter, I'm gonna build my church on you knowing full and well that when times got hard, Peter would deny him and run away. We follow a ruler who built his church on the one who denied him. We follow a shepherd who leaves the 99 to chase after the one. We follow a a God, a creator of, of the universe who came to be with us, not just to be with us, but to serve us. That just doesn't make sense to the world that we live in. But yet we still find ourselves in this this tug of war. Right? We <clears throat> live in a world that rewards outspoken, dominant, and cutthroat leaders, right? But we're called to lead by being servants. We live in a society that says that we alone are responsible for our happiness, right? One that honors instant gratification. A society that is obsessed with greed and we're called to deny ourselves. We live in a country that worships wealth, but we're called to give it all away, right? And we strive after being the first at everything we're called to purposefully and intentionally place ourselves last. So the question for you, Faith for Life, is how are we supposed to live in this upside-down kingdom? I'll tell you, we're supposed to flip it right side up. It may sound like a big undertaking, but it's actually really simple because Jesus, he shows us in Matthew 25 what that looks like. Some of you all know this passage, but in Matthew 25, Jesus is telling his disciples exactly what he's looking for, exactly what we will be judged on when it comes to the end. He says that when he returns in all of his glory, he's going to separate the people like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and he'll put the goats on his left and then he'll turn to the sheep on the right and he'll invite them into his kingdom. 
right? Join me, Matthew 25, verse 34, if you have your Bibles. It says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. We do imagine this for a moment, hearing those words from the mouth of Jesus. Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So who gets to inherit the kingdom? He goes on and says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Most people like to stop reading that verse right there. They don't like reading the next part where he takes the goats and he casts them into the fiery pit. Those goats ask the same question. Hey, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or sick or in prison? And he says, hey, just like you ignored my brothers and my sisters, you ignored me. Notice that Jesus here doesn't separate the sheep from the goats by asking them how many of the commandments they followed, right? Or how many speeding tickets they got, or even if they prayed the sinner's prayer. My guess is that some of those goats probably even went to church once or twice. (laughs) Here's the thing. It's not just about what you believe or what you say. Because God's love was meant to be demonstrated, not dictated. It's a good thing to tell people that you love them. It's a whole other thing to show them. It's a good thing for me to tell my wife that I prioritize her. It's a whole other thing for me to show her. It's not just enough to believe in something. You need to believe in something so much that it compels you to go. Believe in something so much that it compels you to say yes. Believe in something so much that it compels you to go through that banner. And to not be satisfied with that, but to step onto the field and play. I believe God is calling some of you right now to flip your world upside down. And that's just not not just a hunch. That's not a lucky pastor guess. That's because we're all called to do that. That's... That's God's mission with his church. I've heard it said that the mission of God has a church. I know the mission of God has this church. James 2 verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith for life, you are a church on a mission. I know it, I've seen it, I've experienced it myself. But you need to hear this, that the mission of God isn't about you or your desires. The mission of God is the central message of our faith is that we must abandon ourselves. So how do we do that? We focus our eyes on God and on others, right? We stop looking into that mirror and instead we look out a window, out to a world that desperately needs to not just hear about the love of Jesus, they need to experience, they need to have that demonstrated for them. And how do we do that? Well, we join in the work that God's already doing in restoring the broken circumstances of our brothers and sisters. 
here in, in Round Rock, in Austin, around the country, and, and around the world. But we have to humble ourselves. We have to abandon ourselves, and we have to act. Faith without works is dead. In a typical Jesus fashion, he doesn't just ask us to do this. He doesn't just ask us to do something that he hasn't already done himself. Do you remember on the night that Jesus is portrayed, is betrayed, excuse me, we see him, the savior of the world, lower himself to the position of a servant. In John 13, Jesus takes off the, the robe, takes off his sandals, gets down on his knees, and he washes the feet of Matthew, the tax collector. Scum. He washes the feet of Peter, who he knew would deny him hours later. He washes the feet of Judas, who would betray him and lead to his death. Only a perfect and relentless love would drive the creator of the universe to lower himself to wash the feet of these unworthy men. And he would do the same for you and for me right now. Jesus took on flesh and came to dwell among us to demonstrate his love. Sure, he told us he loved us, but he demonstrated it. And he showed it to us by bearing our sins on his shoulders on the cross. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So how do we flip our world right side up? What does that look like? It means going where nobody else is willing to go. Doing what nobody else is willing to do. And serving those that the world sees as unworthy. This morning, I believe that God is calling you to more. And for some of you, I believe he is calling you actually to move on behalf of our brothers and sisters around the world. So in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to put your faith into action, to not just declare the good news, but to demonstrate it. And not just to demonstrate it, but to demonstrate it to those that the world sees as unworthy. Those that the world sees as the least of these. Like my buddy, Philip. I've got a picture of Philip we're gonna put up on the screen. Philip's one of the, the kids that my wife and I sponsor through World Vision. He's four years old, about to be five. He lives in southern Rwanda. This incredible little man lives in a really tough place. He regularly goes hungry. The area that he lives doesn't yet have access to safe or clean drinking water. And so he's walking several miles a day, several miles a day at four years old to get water that's making him sick every single week. And he's one of the lucky ones because there's thousands of kids like Philip who are dying every day because they don't have access to safe and clean drinking water. Every day. This little guy right here is who the world sees as being the least of these. The world may see him as the least of these, but, but I don't. I see him as being no different than my four-year-old son, Caleb. I've got another picture I want to show you. You'll see Caleb there on the left, and I got to meet Philip this June on the right. And getting to meet Philip was just an incredible experience for me. But it was also so eye-opening to realize that, hey, these two boys, they're basically the same. They literally have the same birthday. They're both going to turn five in November. That's why we chose Philip to be our sponsor child. But as I got to know Philip, I realized that he has the same contagious smile as Caleb. I, I realized that they have the same love of just getting out and running on the grass, playing soccer. And I, I saw this same deep affection for their moms that just touched me to my core. But as much as they have alike, I realized that Caleb never has to wonder where he's going to get water from. 
got seven or eight faucets in our house. He can just turn on and get water anytime he wants. But Philip is risking his life for something that we so easily take for granted. And when I read those words in Matthew 25, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? I see that little face right there. That's not the face of just my brother or sister. That's, that's the face of Jesus. Because you'll notice in Matthew 25, it, it's, not G, it's not us being Jesus to the least of these. It's them being Jesus to us. So here's what I am inviting you to do. I'm asking you to say yes to that face, to the face of Jesus, and here's what it's gonna take. I need you to take on two God-sized goals with me. The first is to run the Austin Marathon or Half Marathon. There's the bomb drop. The second is to end the global water crisis. And both of these things are possible, I promise you. And I'll be with you every step of the way Pastor Evan's gonna be out there running again this year with us every step of the way. And to some of you, the idea of taking on a, a full or half marathon sounds crazy. But what's crazy is that little boys like Philip are risking their lives every day and they shouldn't have to. They deserve to live a full, happy, and healthy life. But we live in an upside down kingdom, right? So it's our turn to flip it right side up. Listen, church, where there is clean water, there is hope. But that hope begins when you say yes. And so here's what saying yes looks like this morning. After service today, down here in these front few rows, we're going to host about a seven or eight minute info session. Coming to that meeting doesn't commit you to joining the team. It just means you want to find out a little bit more. I'll be able to answer some of your questions there. But it's only happening today. So please come down today. If you're sitting there thinking to yourself, hey, Brian, this sounds great. I'm all in for flipping the world upside down, but I'm not a runner. Well, my, my answer to you is that's perfect. Because actually over 80% of the people that join our team haven't even done like a 5K before. So if you've done a 5K or something, you're already ahead of the curve. Over the last 12 years, we've helped over 75,000 people cross finish lines with our proven couch to finish line program. So don't let that be the thing that holds you back today. We have people of all ages, shapes, and sizes. We had an 82-year-old last year in LA that crossed the finish line of a full marathon. It was incredible. So all I'm asking you to do today is say yes long enough to come to the info session. Now in a moment, we're going to show uh, a video. And as you watch this video, I'm going to tell you, because it still even happens to me today, you're going to have two voices in your head. One that's going to say, hey, you know, you shouldn't do this. This is for that person sitting next to you. Right? <laughs> you're already thinking that to yourself right now. But there's going to be another voice, probably a quieter voice, saying that you can do this. And you should do this. Just listen to that second voice just long enough to come to the info session and hear a little bit more today. Just listen to that quieter voice. See that face of Philip and just say yes to what God is calling you to today. I'm convinced that every good thing God has for us in this life is on the other side of fear. Think about it. When you got married, when you took that job, everything good God has for us in this life is on the other side of fear, but you have to step through fear to get to it. You have to step out of that boat to learn that you can walk on water. The steps that you take down to these front free rows, maybe some of the hardest you take in your training. They may be some of the hardest that you take in your life, but they will change your life and they will change the lives of kids around the world who desperately need you. Well, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there's a couple things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can also invest in helping us empower others to follow Jesus by texting any dollar amount to 512-520-0185. Thanks again for joining us today on the Faith for Life podcast.